Morning, guys. Happy to have you with us today. And we've got a full crew here laughing in the studio as we start off today. So Dustin's still traveling. I'm looking forward to him getting back. I think he's got some exciting news to share with us from some of his travels. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Brian. Morning, everybody. Philip. Hey, guys. So we're going to talk about a couple different topics today. We're going to address pink eye. Always talk about it a little bit at this time of year, but worth revisiting. Low stress cattle handling, because that's an important topic at any time of year. Really important when it's hot outside. And then we're going to address some uh, follow up that we had on heat stress, where we had a listener question relative to what does that look like in dairy cattle? And is there anything there that we can learn that would apply to our beef cattle operations? Before we get into those topics, guys, I, I wanted to ask you, sometimes summertime is a good time if you get a chance to relax, sit around with the family or friends. Might be a good time for card games. What's your favorite card game to play? Our family card game is, is pitch. And, you know, all our kids, and now now I'm getting in-law, outlaw, son-in-laws, whatever, and they're all pitch players too. So we're a pitch-playing family. Seven point, ten point, ten thirteen point. point, always ten point? Always ten point. All right. Who's the best pitch player? Not me. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of what I thought the answer would be, but I thought I'd ask. Philip? Growing up, we were not a card-playing family. We just didn't play cards that much. But, you know, I've got two small boys, 10 and 8, and so complicated card games are not really there yet. So our our go-to card game is war. Yeah, who can, that's one. Who can get yeah. the most hands? Yeah, that's the one I can manage. <laughs> <laughs> so, Excellent. Well, let's, let's talk pink eye. So pink eye is one of the diseases that we will see. And Bob, I'm going to go to you first and ask, what is pink eye and what are some of the signs that we might see? Well, as the name implies, basically it's an infection of the eye. And a lot of times the very first thing you'll see is that the eye is really watering. In fact, that's actually the best time to notice it. And because cattle are out on pasture and we are not, you know, especially if you've got a herd of any size, it's, it's hard to put eyes on every calf every day. And so it, sometimes it can get past just the watery eye. And now we've starting to have, you know, a swollen eye, maybe even a white spot in the middle, and the, the disease has progressed a little bit farther. Basically, as soon as you identify it, those calves need to be treated. And, and we've got some antibiotics that we can use. A lot of times we'll put a patch on the eye or even sew the eyelids shut to try to provide some, basically some comfort because it's quite painful. Well, I think that's the point I was going to make is a lot of times what you'll see is they'll be holding that eye closed. They're, they're squinting, they're holding it, and it is quite painful. If anybody's ever had your cornea scratched, which unfortunately I think with each of our kids when they were little, they scratched my cornea, which you would think I would have better reflexes than a baby, but babies are quicker than they you think. Quick. But if they scratch your cornea, it is super painful. And you'll see those cattle with their eye almost held shut on their own so there are some treatments available but those treatments you mentioned the white spot that white spot is coming in later yeah. those treatments are most effective when you see watery eye squinty eye absolutely the later we are uh, a lot of times the worst damage has already been done and and so i'm not sure that treatment i'd still probably treat them because you don't know if you're doing any good or not, but I'd, I'd really like to get in there when the eye is still watering and we don't have a lot of damage to that cornea yet. Okay. So how do how do they get it? Well, it's it's passed from one animal to another. One of the things that we know can pass it is facial eyes. And so when we talk about managing a pink eye outbreak, a lot of times one of the things we do talk about is trying to manage face flies. And the interesting thing is because the other type of fly that we're really worried about in cattle is, is horn flies, sometimes stable flies and other things, but horn flies. And 
sometimes our treatment might be really effective for horn flies and not so treatment and not so effective for face flies. So you need to be looking at the face fly control itself and not just generic fly control. So how do I distinguish? You talked about two types of flies, face flies and horn flies. How would I know the difference between those two? Well, face flies are much larger and they're going to be right around the face and they're just and 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 there's only a, a few of them, you know, a handful or a dozen, maybe it would be a, a pretty big. Look like flea. a house fly. Yeah, they look like a house fly. Horn flies are very small and they tend to be on the backs and shoulders of the cattle and there's there's hundreds of them. And so they're they're totally different types of flies and their their feeding behavior is different. They're even their off cattle time is behavior. Horn flies spend almost all their time on the cattle and face flies actually spend relatively little time on the cattle, which is one of the reasons control can be difficult because they're just, you know, my, they're not around my ear tags. They're not around my sprays. They spend most of their time away from the cattle. So it's kind of harder to control them. So I was going to ask, is there a way to, let's say I've had pink eye in the past. Is there a way to kind of clear my property, my herd of it? Or once I have it, it's kind of there and I'm going to have recurring issues year after year after year. That's a great question. There's so much we don't know about this disease. But one thing we do know is year after year problems are rare. In fact, usually it's a one-year problem. Occasionally you'll have kind of a two-year problem. And and I'm thinking in enclosed herds where we're not bringing in a lot of cattle and those types of things. So we don't really know why it shows up, and we really don't know why it goes away. But the good thing is it tends to not be a year over year. The only times I've ever seen those types of problems were in kind of an open herd where you're bringing in a lot of new cattle and things like that, and you could have a multi-year problem in that case. But generally, it, it comes without warning, and it leaves without warning. Well, and we didn't talk about some of the other risk factors. So there are some other risk factors out there. And essentially, if there are things that can scratch the eye that cause mechanical irritation, if you have grass seeds that get into the eyes, those can cause mechanical irritation that make the bacteria have an easier time getting in and causing problems. So if you see an outbreak, I I would be looking for what are some other risk factors? What are some other things that play a role? Yeah, sometimes we'll move pastures, just trying to get them out of the pasture where there's a problem. And it's not so much that the germs are there, but the irritating factors are there. So yeah. seed heads or weed seeds or something like that that's in the pasture that's contributing. A lot of times we'll try to move cattle. The reality is this is a frustrating disease. It can affect quite a few calves. The treatment is not easy because catching calves and treating them is not easy to do out on pasture. And it's really a frustrating, frustrating problem. It is, but it, but I think getting in early, as you mentioned, helps us. Sometimes moving pasture, sometimes managing that pasture. We we'll often talk about being sure that their nutrition is adequate, especially on the vitamin mineral side. And coincidentally, Philip, if you if you're interested in learning more about vitamin A, D, and E, Philip just did an episode discussing those specifically on our bovine science with BCI. So if I do have a problem and how long does it take for uh, once, I, you know, once I catch the animal and I treat them, how long does it take for that to clear up? It depends a little bit on where you were in the disease process when you treated it. It's going to still take a few days. And, and by few, I mean, I don't know, five, seven, ten days to really get that back under control. If there's actually been scarring to the cornea, that, that takes a long time to actually clear up. And it may never completely clear up. You may always have that little white dot in the middle of their eye. Sooner you treat them, the better. But as he mentioned, the scars will constrict down. And sometimes they can make a remarkable comeback. 
but still end up with a scar on their eye but have vision, which if I'm saving replacement heifers, that's that could be a bigger deal. If I've got steers, probably less a big deal if they've got if they've got vision there. But the sooner sooner I get in and treat them, the better. The other thing I would say, and we talked about treatments, options, uh, manage how you can, but those corneal ulcers are painful and they are very light sensitive. So bright sunlight is not easy on them, but one of the cautions I would avoid is if you put them in a barn or a covered area that I've done something to manage the flies so that I don't have a high fly load in that area. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for sharing on, on pink eye, Bob and Philip. I think that's a, a great area to discuss. The other thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about is low stress cattle handling. And we know, and we've talked before, and we've talked a lot about heat stress lately because it's, it's a big issue. And we try to manage that as well as we can. And we talked about last week that overnight cooling is what's really important. So if we're going to work cattle, we're going to work them early in the morning. But I want to expand this beyond just heat stress related. I want to talk about what are your, and I'm going to pin you guys down. I'm going to say, what are your top three tips? When somebody says low stress cattle handling, what's your top three tips for low stress cattle handling? Pick the right people to help in that. I want people that have been trained to do low, cast, low stress cattle handling. They're not loud, they, they move at appropriate speeds, not too fast, not too slow, and they know cattle. So that's, that's one. I think my number one tip is understand the flight zone and point of balance concepts. Because if you can understand those, you can figure out how to move cattle calmly in just about every situation and not have to know or or learn what to do specifically in every situation you can figure it out on your own and every situation is different every working facility is different and so if you understand those two concepts then you can develop a low stress handling techniques in your facility and teach your employees how to to implement those in your facility all right and number three is is the facilities themselves I need good facilities in order to practice low-stress cattle handling. When, when I'm tempted or I have seen people do poor cattle handling, a lot of times it's because my facilities are poor, and so I'm having to, you know, I'm violating a bunch of the rules about flight zone and how many I'm putting in a pen and how I'm handling them because my facilities don't allow good cattle flow. So you got to have good people. You've got to have good facilities. And, and good doesn't mean extremely expensive, but... It, they need to be good, as in they're solid and they're designed in a way that cattle can move through them easily. Okay, so let's dive into the facilities a little bit. And uh, in those facilities, there's multiple ways that it could be designed. But I'm going to go back to your people and training. Is that w- whether you're talking about a, a tub system or a bud box system, do you have a preference, or can either work? What What do you see? Either can work, and I you know I get the opportunity to get on number of different ranches and and I any can work um, it I I'm yeah any can work the key is don't overfill either a bud box or a tub um, just you know depending on the size of the facilities uh, you know a handful but a, a small number of cattle don't fill them and that's again down to back to the cattle behavior and human behavior and then you know so I need some sort of a bud box or tub and then I need an alley. And the size of each of those is going to be dependent on the size of the herd and how many I can move through at a time. But I need those two things, a bud box or tub, an alley, and then a good quality chute at the end. 
Well, and I think, too, thinking about, you mentioned cattle flow, and it's more than just the tub and the alley, but you've got holding pens and sorting pens, and you're moving cattle through. Designing those where cattle can see the open gate. If you've got things in a square corner and the calves are looking straight, they see a fence on the other side. They can't see around the corner to see the open gate. And so having those things designed where cattle will be able to see the open gate and they'll move through so much easier than if they think you're trying to run them into a dead corner. Yeah, surprisingly, I I think that's if you don't have a, and I think either a tub or a bud box can work. But if you, don't, if you haven't watched somebody work cattle through a bud box, it's worth looking up because I think it's telling on the psychology of cattle because mm-hmm. they walk into an area, they get into an area that is closed off, and they go, well, this way doesn't work. And if they're calm, which I think that's where I thought you were going with the holding pens is make sure that we're not ramping up behaviors as we get closer and closer to the chute. If they go in, they say, well, I can't go that way. They turn around and go right back up the alley with without coercion. And I I know I'm going to say something that a few people are going to disagree with. When I talk about well-trained help, that means not a dog. And and I know there are people that are really proud of their dog and how well they work. But I think the best, and I love a good cattle dog, and they should be in the pickup truck while you're working cattle. That is the best place for them, in my opinion. And I know I'll get some pushback, but I, I really do think that they tend to not, dogs tend to not be low stress cattle handlers. Yeah, well, I think we should start an email address so people can email you directly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is Bob Larson at ksu.edu. I just consulted your grandmother, apple pie, and your dog. <laughs> so the other thing I would like to add to you guys' top three, and it's one that I've learned over time, I've known was important, but I've learned over time is having the patience. So on the day we're going to work cattle, it's the day we're going to work cattle. Having patience on that day is, is more challenging. But we had a cow not not very long ago at our place, and she and I both mutually agreed that it was time for her to go, and she was going to leave. What we did not agree on, and I should have gotten up front, was the date on Mm. which she was going to leave. So the first two times that I tried to get her separated out from the group and by herself, it was a no-go. And there was a time, probably even 10 years ago, I would have continued to the point that either she ran through the fence or something happened. Whereas it didn't matter if she went that week or the next week. And so eventually getting her in, and I think the lesson there is the same way when we're working cattle, it take your time and go slow so that you can go fast. Exactly. I yeah. love the go slow so you can go fast because that, that rule is, is it was invented for cattle handling. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you guys hit some of the, some of the key topics there. How, how do I know what's a sign of success if I'm doing low stress cattle handling well? I would say the lack of use of prods and other tools to get cattle to move. If you're having to use those things, then those cattle are probably stressed and they're, they're, they don't feel comfortable going where you want them to go. Yeah. And I, I just think maybe even the stress level of the people involved That's- is is if it's if it's going well then it's going well for everyone the cattle and the people i was going to say the lack of verbal prods between the working crew so so if you have to yell at the working crew there's there's problems in the handling because the cattle aren't coming up and watch them leave the chute right Mm -hmm. In, in most cases 
when they leave the chute, if they're walking out, walking away, uh, there's going to be the occasional one that wants to run. But if they're mostly walking away, mission accomplished, right? They didn't get mm. excited. They didn't go through. And if you're not yelling at the crew or they're not yelling at you, again, mission accomplished. So those are those would be my two measures of success as you go through. So great, great tips and discussion there, guys. I, I did want to follow up. I mentioned we had a listener question relative to heat stress in dairies. And I, Ryan, let's bring you in on that one. Brian, I wanted to get your perspective on dairy cattle because I know that was a part of what you did while you were in practice. Are, are there some differences, similarities to what we talked about last week relative to heat stress? There are definitely some similarities. There are some differences too. And and again, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It depends on what type of dairy management system you're using. So if you're using a freestall versus a dry lot, that or a, or a pasture-based system, even we have some of those. Heat load management would be dramatically different. So yeah, but there, you know, the big things are that would be very similar would be access to lots of clean, cool water. Right? They're they're not only are they hot, but they're lactating, so their water requirements have gone way up. The other thing that would be very, I mean, shade. We would we would have. We would have requirements for shade and most areas, like you said, especially if you're in a freestall system, shade's kind of built into the facility. So we pay attention to it, but like you said, it's, it's kind of a built in thing. The other thing that is maybe not something we would see, I, I, maybe we see in some confined cattle, but the actual like sprinkler, wetting, cooling type apparatuses would be relatively common in some dairy systems so people are using water actually wet the animals not just to, for drinking purposes but to wet them to cool them down and one of the things that we found is that you really need to soak the animal so that the fine mist is not a good way to cool cattle it actually almost creates a bubble and insulates them and traps the heat and so when i was in practice we had a couple systems where as they exited the milking parlor it was almost car wash like i mean it the, it was it was a solid wall of water that they would walk through not the mister systems they, they just don't work very well for cooling cattle so that's a big difference and we can do that in dairies because well we can do that in dairy systems where there's a lot of concrete flooring right if you try to do that kind of system in confined feeding operations you end up with mud so we can manage it a little bit differently because of the flooring systems we have. Well, I think I, I want to follow up and probably emphasize one of your points is a lot of us think about, and, and we've done that. You've been to a, an event or a fair or somewhere, and they've got that mist blowing in the air. And with cattle, with their hair coat, and essentially what we've done is created humidity and then made them actually hotter, potentially. If you soak them to the skin, because they don't sweat like we do, then as that water evaporates, that's what leads to the cooling. The heat will lead to that, but you've got to get them soaked. So if you decide to wet down cattle, whatever kind of cattle, because it's hot, they need to be wet. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be, like I mentioned, the like car wash type system. You know, big nozzle sprayers like, you know, like a sprinkler system, those work pretty well because they're big droplets of water, but it's that fine mist that we really want to avoid. 
I bet that doesn't look like I picture it, but the way I'm picturing this car wash system for cows looks pretty cool. There's a guy yeah. standing there checking no. for coins. No, nobody's standing there. Yeah. No. I was picturing the brush ones. You know, the cow the brush ones. The brush. Hey, cattle love those brushes. <laughs> yeah. They, when actually, you put they a do. brush out there, they love those things. Yeah. So a couple of questions for you, Brian. One, and I think they do this in swine operations from cooling down, but they use maybe a sprinkler, but then they do it periodically. Like the sprinkler is not running all the time. You wet them down and then you turn it, it turns off and lets the water evaporate off of them to take the heat. And then after, I don't know, an hour or you know, whatever time, it, it wets them down again. So that in times to get that, that absorb that heat from their body, evaporate off, and then you do it again. Um, do you do that in dairy situations or is it just kind of you do it a one-time deal as they just twice a day as they're coming through the the milking parlor yeah so it it depends on the system right um that particular one they did it as they were exiting the parlor and that was it but it was kind of a water conservation measure is so you get and they were a three times a day system so three times Mm -hmm. a day you get soaked and cooled off and typically tolerated heat pretty well as far as the the bigger sprinklers, it, it again, it depends on the dairy. They may run them intermittently, or they may just run them in certain parts of the free stall or the dry lot part where basically the cows can regulate themselves, right? If they, mm. they know where the sprinklers are, they're hot, they go to the sprinklers, they get wet, eventually they leave. They don't just stand there under the water. So it depends. There's I've seen all kinds of different solutions to managing heat stress in dairies. The other thing I've seen in a lot of dairies is fans. How well do those work is having big fans in the freestyle barns. And yeah, lots of, lots of fans and, and lots of different opinions on what type of fans is it the giant fans that move air slow and just keep circulation moving or lots of little fans that are blowing hard. Um, I've, I've seen all of them. I guess I don't know. It's, it's not really my area, but I don't know which one is, better or worse than you see all kinds and and a lot of dairies the the energy requirements for fan is quite expensive plus the initial investment a lot of them really just try to design facilities where there's good natural ventilation too so and, and i think that's your we talked about shade last time which in freestyle covered freestyle barn you've got shade depending on the height of your roof you're trapping heat or not and depending on your climate there are places where trapping heat through a big chunk of the year is a great idea because it's chilly. There are other places where if you get it too low, and it's the same thing. We talked about shades on pasture. Mm-hmm. The height of those greatly impacts. Yeah, and you can do things. So we've all seen adjustable sidewall curtains and things like that. That In certain climates, we'd want to have that adjustability where in some part, sometimes of the year we want to trap it because it's cooler. We're trying to keep the heat in the facility. Whereas other times we want to open up the curtains, we want lots of ventilation. So yeah, there's lots of good designs out there. Absolutely. And, and a couple of good take-homes from that, Brian, are, are when we get cattle wet, not just dairy cattle, but when we get at them wet to control the heat, they need to be wet. Soaked through, they're going to lose a lot of their body heat typically by respiration, by breathing. But if we wet them down, they can use evaporative cooling because they don't sweat like we do. So excellent points there. And thanks for filling us in on a little bit more on heat stress. Thanks for joining us today. And we appreciate having you with us. I I mentioned earlier in the program that our newest bovine science with BCI actually has an in-depth discussion with Philip talking about vitamin A, D, and E. And next week, Bob's going to talk about herd repro problems. So tune into those bovine science with BCI if you're 
interested in a more in-depth discussion. And if you have questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can always send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.